Buglers, we are live from Leicester Square Theatre on the 16th of September with Chris Addison and Alice Fraser. It might be our only London date of the year, so get your tickets now. Oh, get them at thebuglepodcast.com. That that bit's important. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is a podcast from The Bugle. Hello, and welcome to Catharsis, the show where I provide therapy for my guests. A chance to talk about old grudges, petty gripes, unpopular opinions and other people's problems. This week I'm joined by comedian and writer Athena Kublenu. However, before we get into her gripes, one of mine, in my attempt, in my sad attempt at New Year's resolutions, I've been to look at a gym and I just can't do it anymore. I want to, but I can't because I went in and there were women on the machines in full makeup and I cannot (laughs) handle, I cannot handle that pressure. Like I thought the gym was where you went to, to... to get to look better not where you have to go to look good in the first place like I get it that everywhere is a pickup place now but I don't want to be sweating and crying next to someone in false eyelashes and a clip on ponytail I just I can't do it I don't want to look at someone in full matching Lululemon rolling around on a yoga ball while I fart my way through some kettlebells because that's the, that's the reality <laughs> of the gym for me and I just I don't have it in me anymore is it that everything needs to be Instagrammable now I presume next time I have a shit I should be posting a photo of me in full makeup doing it. I just have decided that I'm going to have to stick to doing yoga at home, doing weights in the garden. Tiff, I feel... So, I want, let's go to the gym together, okay? okay. Let's wear 100% cotton shirts that sweat mark <laughs> the hell out of... You know, let's get that... The, you know the bum sweat line, you get the fanny sweatshirt. <laughs> let's let's fix this because the, I used to go to gym a lot, right? I was a gym rat with, and then I stopped when I just got too busy with like kids and stuff. So I kind of missed those years where the gym transformed. So it's almost like, you know, if you leave a country and you come back and it's like a new government and a new a new authority, <laughs> that if yes. I go back to the gym, I'll be you. I'll be like, what happened? Because I used to go to the gym looking, I'd have my do-rag on to stop my sweat and I, you know, I, I'd go to the gym to train. You know, yes. it's a work. It's a place where you work. I think we need to open a new chain of gyms where you're not allowed in if you look like you've looked in a mirror before you left your house. Okay, that's what we need. It needs to be like the gym group for people who come to use the gym, and that's it. So it's, it starts right here. Dragons Den. We want the money because that's that's just a hostile environment to me. Horrible, <laughs> hostile. No one should look good in the gym. If you look good in the gym, you're wasting your time and my time. You're wasting everyone's time. Stop it. As you're aware, Athena, this is the podcast where I will provide some kind of therapy, completely unqualified. So I normally ask my guests at the top to bring along an old grudge, something they've been thinking about. It's been weighing you down from your past. Let's see if we can fix it. Hit me up. I had to think hard about this gripe because 
I'm not sure that I hold grudges, but I definitely have a very bad memory. So <laughs> I, I forget a lot of the times that I've been wronged purely because I just have a really bad memory. But I remember this one. When I was in my first year at uni, I lent somebody who will remain nameless a copy of the book Roots, which is like a book which everyone knows. And that was like a particularly special book to me because it was a secondhand copy that was bought for me by an uncle of mine. His name's Uncle Jim, right? And he passed away. And he'd inscribed it really simply to Athena from your Uncle Jim and he dated it. Now, being me and being at university for the first year, I thought you just lent stuff to people and they give it back to you. I'd led a, a fairly uh. sheltered life up to that point. Like I would give, you know, me and my, I, I had like, I was really lucky. I went to school with people who I got on with. So I had like a good group of friends in London who I knew from school and college and from where I lived and I'd never the concept of giving something to someone and not getting it back I just never really it never really came to me so I gave somebody this incredible this incredibly sentimental piece of work and it was before the summer holidays right it's before summer break so after the summer break I was like where's my book and this person was like oh um, I moved house and I lost it just like that <gasps> but like that's how it was delivered and like, oh my gosh it was like the most normal thing in the world to this person to take this thing and lose it. But here's the crazy thing. Um, I was a bit upset, but because I'm very stoic, I was just like, oh, okay. And she was like, oh, actually, wasn't it? Didn't it have like an inscription on it? Didn't someone sign it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, my, my uncle Jim gave it to me and, you know, he signed it. And she was like, oh, okay. Like there was no <laughs> acknowledgement. And that's when I learned my circle is too small. I need to widen my circle and realise to expect much less of people <laughs> in the world. And I think that's what happens when you spend a lot of time, when you spend your whole life with people you've known for years and years and years, you forget that some people are just horrible. By the way, this person isn't horrible. And this was a long time ago. We were no, like 18, it's careless. 19. It's very careless. Yeah, and yeah. And I like that you're qualifying it with like, because that is a thing of like, when I say grudge, people are like, I don't like to hold grudges and... You know, um, we're going to be talking about her later on in the podcast, but I think I remember Maya Angelou saying first, you know, holding a grudge is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Mm. You know, I get that. But um, I do think sometimes it's quite healthy to go, oh, actually, what lesson did I take from this going forth into the world? So you were saying about your circle being quite small and intimate. And for a lot of people going to university for the first time, is is the first time that you're going to meet people who don't necessarily share your values, who don't necessarily think the way you think. And that's part of the joy of it. But um, not understanding the sentimentality of something or being very laissez-faire about a book that has meaning and, and sort of power in it anyway is a uh, fuck that girl <laughs> are, you, are you a therapist because the way you've put it out like that like it's been like 22 years and I've never really processed it in that way even though that's what I said that was a really concise way to put it yeah but then, like I said like, she's actually all right like like I think she wouldn't do that now this is very much something that is part of being an 18 and 19 year old but it was definitely very naive of me I think to give something to someone who was going to take it from that city take it to another city and then bring it back because I would have just kept it like I would have I remember a friend of mine lent me a copy of the Quran right and you know she's not Muslim but her family's Muslim and I just always wanted to just read it and I know the Quran is a very precious thing you gotta you gotta keep it above head height and all these things I swear down I don't know where that Quran is all right I lost the right. damn Quran <laughs> okay when I tell you 
I'm, I, I still apologize to this girl every time I see her. I'm so, you know, and I, I lost it bizarrely enough because um, it was in my house for ages and then um, I moved out, but it stayed in my house. And then I went back to my mum's house. So like, it's just my, it was in my mum's house and I moved out and I came back and it was just wasn't where I thought it was. And lots of things were cleared out by my mum and my older brother and things like that. And I'm, I'm utterly convinced that they just put it in a box and gave it away because that's kind of, that's what family members do. Um, and it was a really horrifying thing. And she was like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> like she, she like didn't she like she gave it to me because it wasn't a sentimental thing it was just something that she had and I saw it at a house I thought I'd quite like to just have it you can see behind me I'm there's books stacked up so a couple of things I want to say if there's anyone out there listening if you have seen a copy of Roots <laughs> knocking around with a message from Uncle Jim can you please get it back to Athena in blue ink pen you know like those um those kind of liquid fountain ink pens? pen yeah but fountain it wasn't fountain yeah. it was that like ink I remember it I remember the inscription the, his handwriting and everything um so um yeah if you have it that'd be i'd love it to come back to me that'd be awesome um yes imagine yeah. that and then you could find out the journey of that book years later because the beautiful thing about books is that could have gone into the hands of 10 people who needed to read it before it finally comes back to you right and it's a it's a transformative book as well here's what i would say and i love this because it's very tender-hearted of you um i remember my one of my early experiences of a similar thing was at was at junior school where we did swaps and I thought swaps was for like a week (laughs) and I just never got back I think I I think I had like a new a new Cindy doll I don't think it was Barbie with all of her outfits and everything and this other girl at school had a Tinkerbell perfume and I took it home and my mum went absolutely ape she was like, I cannot believe you've done that. I got like told off from my mum. And I was like, oh no, it's only for a week. And then I went to take it back in and I just never got my my doll back. And I, but I, I would rather be that person. I would rather you be that person that is willing to openly lend something or be the person that goes, sure, you know, than be the person who goes, no, you're going to lose it and sort of close that aspect off. So I'm thinking, I'm hoping if you do feel a bit better, now you've got this off your chest and it's out there, that we might get this book back. If this podcast could do that, that would how incredible would that be? Oh, Tiff, I would just, um, I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm genuinely, I would just be, I'd burst into tears. I would. Could you imagine right. that? The book would be a yeah. state by now because that book, it was secondhand when I got it and I got it when I was 13, 14, you know? Right. So you can imagine how old this copy would be. And it was, you know, all brown paper. It was a very well-read book. Um, so I don't expect to get the whole, it'll be, I'd get 20% of it back. <laughs> it'll be like the cover in a few pages, probably. Where did it start? So where did you lend it at university? Birmingham, and it went back to South London, went back to Croydon. So we know it started in the Midlands, went to somewhere in South London, yeah. if you see it. Let's find let's, it. Let's, let's find, find it. Book. I'm looking at your bookshelf going, is it in the Muzzle Hill somewhere? But... <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, like it could be. It could be behind me here. I mean, I think that this is what I love. This is why... I have a Kindle, but it's, I feel like how sad does a bookshelf look with one Kindle on it? Oh, no, listen, I've got a big, I think books are amazing. Like one of the reasons why I, I lent the book out and I still do is because I'm like, if I read a book, I just want, you know, and you have like a mutual who would like it, you pass it on. I think books are the one thing where you could, if you don't have any money, go into an overdraft for a book because it's the one, when you pass away, that's the thing that it lives, you know, it's not waste. Does that make sense? Yes. It's yeah. not like buying like a pair of trainers or like a car. And people always want books. I know that sounds... Anyway, I think books are great. I love secondhand books. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And I like the messages in them. I've got some mad ones back here. But I found one that was from like 1910 or something. And uh, it it had in it, thank you for a wonderful Christmas and blah, blah, blah. Like it was a really sweet message. 
like from one I think it was like two lovers oh and so I think so I like that I like that a book has a journey has a history there's a reason why the Kindle couldn't kill the book right because it's just books are just like just there's nothing like holding a book and passing it on to someone so when I go there'll be so much stuff that ended up in a skip I promise you no one puts books in a skip and if they do yes. I mean if you if you are put if you're right now putting books into a skip like what's wrong with you like no one puts books in a skip no one for a reason life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs learn more at uh1.com quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This section of the podcast we like to call unpopular opinions. Something you love but everyone else hates or vice versa. <laughs> Sit down if you're in North London because you're not going to like me. <laughs> I'm in North London. <laughs> yeah. I'm sat. I'm Everyone ready. listening to this in North London, sit down. You're not going to like this. I sadly, in spite of him and his politics, do not like Jeremy Corbyn. I didn't like him when he got elected. I thought I was one of the people that thought he's not really electable because I know the British public. Not because he's not a nice guy. <laughs> Not because he has bad politics, but I know the British public. I found him, his leadership to be weak. I found him to be stubborn. I found him to be unstrategic. And I was proven correct over two elections because he lost two elections. <laughs> and I struggle a lot with the way people don't see his flaws because we need to get rid of this government. And if we're not honest about our opposition we might actually end up with another version of this current government, which is literally destroying this country, like in a way that I think is easy to underemphasize. Jeremy Corbyn is not, and our insistence that he was a brilliant person, that is not the way for us to make this country better right now. Um, And it's really frustrating because I feel like I'm very rational. I'm always very rational about this when I talk to people like this. I only get trolled by people like Jeremy Corbyn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, oh, trans rights, no one cares. You know, it, but Trevi Corbyn, well, my, my mentions go, my mentions get set ablaze. And it's really odd because I'm like, the Tories have a majority and they're doing what the hell they want with it because of his leadership. I agree with you 100%. We have to be critical, realistic, be able to view our flaws mm. if we are to beat the party that's in power. That now we're at the point where I feel like we're living... And and this isn't right that we're like expected to live like a page out of a Samuel Pepys diary, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like like that we're supposed to live in this kind of austerity. We've got to watch Jamie Oliver tell you how to like use less gas on the hob, yeah, so that your heating bills don't. It's not and 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 it's been normalised to such a degree that food banks, you know, are not just necessary but encouraged, mm. and then people who are working for blue chip companies and corporations who are also using food banks in foot like this is not normal 
And so we've gone so far beyond normal with such a destructive party in power that we need to be very, very aware. We can't afford now to kind of be ideological about our politics. We kind of have to be realistic. I did find Jeremy Corbyn to be very ideological. What I think sums up Jeremy Corbyn is this statement. I actually don't think he's racist, but I do think he's very bad at telling people he's not which is really just as bad. Like it should be, it should really be the easiest thing in the world to say. Oh, actually, I'm not a prejudiced person. And the way he kept comparing anti-Semitism to all other kinds of racism, I think, was really hurtful. What people always forget about anti-Semitism, which really frustrates me, is that it predates racism. People were anti-Semitic before they even saw themselves as white. Okay, before the definition of whiteness existed, they were like, by the way, we don't like Jewish people. Like this, it's millennial. Yeah. It's millen- we're talking about millennia here. I always say you have to understand the precise context that anti-black racism occurs in. I have to then say I've got to understand every other distinct racism, which means I've got to understand how anti-Semitism is a different kind of racism to, and that's why I have a different name for it. It's, you know, that's why yes. I'm very clear yeah. when I say, when I talk about racism, I like to be, we're talking about anti-blackness or we're talking about anti-Semitism because it is different. And I do believe that the the resistance that people have to believe in the prevalence of anti-Semitism is anti-Semitic, right? Like, yeah, if a black person yeah. comes out and says, oh, something's racist, that people like to nod and grieve, like, yeah, it's racist. So why did we have this problem when it was the Labour Party? People are really dense. They thought, how could you have a leader of a world power? Bizarrely, Britain is still a world power. I don't understand that either. I, we only just started doing well at Eurovision. In them days, we wasn't even winning with Eurovision, right? But um, <laughs> how could people think we could have a leader that doesn't believe in the existence of a, of a country? He he couldn't come out and say Israel has the right to exist. You can say it has the right to exist, but you can also say it shouldn't be oppressive. Those are very simple things to say. Yes, you can hold to those two beliefs at the same time. Yeah. And there are lots of Jewish people that do. So many, you know, I make a real point of amplifying Jewish people who are pro-Palestinian because I think that's a better way to have that conversation as it happens on my socials, Athena Kvenu, Instagram, Twitter. <laughs> like that, like that. You, you, activism and self-promotion at the same time. Listen and learn, listen and learn. But it's, it's a really good point. Like it's, it's a completely, I think Israel should exist. If Jewish people can't settle in, in Israel, where the hell do they settle? Everywhere they've been throughout the last 2000 years, they've been told to fuck off, literally. I guess there's lots of people that think it started with world war Two, right. and that we have holocaust denial on such a like as an almost like everyday occurrence there's this mythology that israel exists because of the holocaust like israel exists because of british colonialism okay like if we're going to talk about israel as a formate of its a formative country let's talk about it as it was formed because palestine was a part of the british protectorate so let's talk about that so if we want to talk about colonialism I'll have that conversation. But people will say, well, you know, they had the Holocaust and they got given Israel. Like, that is not true. It's not history at all. That's made up history. That comes from your anti-Semitism. So anyway, there was a lot of stuff that Jeremy Corbyn could have said out loud in defence of Jewish people and to highlight misconceptions that people have that probably don't come from anti-Semitism. It just comes from misinformation. But he never did that. He just just walked around going, well, you know, all racism is bad and stuff. So he was really bad at telling people he wasn't racist. And then he just had like too much faith in the British public. And that comes from stubbornness. He was like, well, I'm a good person. I want good things so people will like me. It's like, on what planet do you <laughs> do you live on? <laughs> do you know what I mean? These, these people cancelled Phil and Holly. You know, like, <laughs> they have no time for you. They don't give a shit. They, they will cancel anyone, well, you know. And it's very easy to dismiss as well, I guess, because feeling like a Labour Party that properly advocates for the working class in a way that, 
for the last while, it feels like it hasn't as much. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know, like we, we're looking at a Labour Party now that sort of is a bit wishy-washy on supporting strikes. I actually kind of didn't have a problem with Keir Starmer saying, I don't want MPs on a picket line because I don't think it helps. Like if, if an MPs on a picket line, who cares? So I kind of didn't worry about it, but you're right. There should, he should have been more proactive in balancing that with, by the way, the strikes are great and amazing. But, uh, you know, for me, I, I don't think it matters if an MP's there or not. With, with Jeremy Corbyn, you're exactly, exactly right. He really struggled to give working class people an incentive to vote for him. I'm not saying working class people aren't compassionate people, but I'll be honest with you, most working class people are too busy to care about polar bears and climate change, you know? And if you open the Labour Manifesto, which by the way, no one did because nobody reads manifestos, but I did it. The first like five pages were on climate change. You know, what do we care about? We care about the cost of childcare. We care about the cost of food. We care about our living conditions. You know, we care about damp and we care about housing. And I think when the whole broadband thing didn't work and they were shocked, it's like, when last you wake up and think, boy, talk, talk, with me off. Like, no one, (laughs) when last did you think that? Like, it was like, what you were saying, you were absolutely right. If everyone in this country had free broadband, that would be a real equaliser. But in terms of capturing my imagination and making me think we want you to be leader it's literally like i can't remember i just don't go to bed dreaming of vodafone like i just don't do it i don't wake up (laughs) thinking about bt i just it's other things so he was really bad at understanding how to talk to people i mean there's a balance as well isn't there of local and global issues Mm. you know and almost i can't believe i'm actually gonna defend rishi but when they were talking about the g8 they kicked out Russia for G7 like, again because they kicked out Russia. G7. Yeah. <laughs> G7. was like, we've got stuff to deal with at home, which I sort of understood. I was like, of course you need to be there. Yeah. But of course there is a thing of like, when people are really struggling, they're like, can we, right now, can we be afford to looking outward globally at these things when I can't manage what's going on in my house and I can't pay my heating and I can't. I'm desperate to see someone who truly taps and I don't even know if Keir's there. Like, I don't mind Keir. Like, you know, I think broadly... But someone who really is able to go, we're listening to you. Because we can say we're global, but you do have to kind of start with what do your constituents, what do your people need? And then we look outwardly beyond that. I don't feel that there's been anyone in recent times that's done that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that Labour, a lot of the Labour MPs who got kicked out in 2019, they said on the doorstep, Jeremy Corbyn was toxic. That's the leader of the party. So there's this real narrative that it was the mainstream media. But to be honest, the mainstream media only ever said out loud the things Jeremy Corbyn said, right? Everyone was like, there was a twist in it. Well, actually, he would say stuff and the media would say Jeremy Corbyn said this. There was nothing I don't know about Boris Johnson's personal life. There's nothing. I know, against my will, I know all sorts. Okay, it's all against my will. I couldn't care less about the children, about bumping his wife who had cancer. Everything that has ever happened in Boris Johnson's life, which is mostly negative, has been reported in the press. Okay, so when people say the mainstream media, I'm like, what, the media that tells us what trash Boris was? who got elected. So this, yeah. there was, I do agree that when you are on the left of, of politics, you're going to have a hard time in the press. But I think that's an inconvenient and annoying truth rather than something that is stealing elections from us. That's just a, something we have to work into our strategies when we try to get elected. You know, the mainstream media, and ever since COVID, like the Financial Times, the Times, they've been kicking this government constantly. Every week you will find an anti-government article, right? And yet, 
people on the left will talk about the mainstream media hate hate the left wing and it's like well i'm i i mean i'm i'm sorry i read the financial times like <laughs> whatever man whatever my partner has a fucking account all right i, I use it <laughs> but you will read just and the, when the financial times kick you down they use numbers do you know what i mean it's not like they don't just go you're it's economics there's baby. a fucking graph that proves you're a <laughs> you know? so it's not the full story although i i will concede it as part of it do you know when he, when the ehrc report came out a few years ago now and jamie corgan said well oversemitism was overstated and he got kicked out of the party that's when i knew he was not the one why would you say that it's over a line could have been drawn under the whole thing if he just said the report has come out and it's legitimized both sides of the argument which was the, actually the best outcome and he said well it was overstated. Get out of the party, Joe. I'm glad he's not in it because why would you say that and not retract it? And that's why I would vote for a theme. <laughs> <laughs> Just there, but that's exactly it. That's where you come in and you go, I can now see that we've, it's strengthened. You don't come out and go, actually, I think you, re- I think you're all, I think you're all overreacting. Yeah. And what a kick in the face <laughs> for Jewish people. It's really difficult. You know, if you're a Jewish person and you can see the country you live in and you're saying, I can't support this man. That's bravery, you know. There was a lot of anti-blackness in the Labour Party at that time, so I had to vote for those fuckers. You know, I wasn't brave enough yeah. to go, I can't do this. That's real bravery. And so, yeah, I definitely... Str- yeah, I don't like Jamie Corbyn. Sorry, guys. Um, deal with it. <laughs> I want to talk to you about a topical news story that might be a bit stingy, that we can apply some cream to. That's why we call this topical cream. Tell me what's in the news, what's getting under your skin at the moment. Yeah, yeah. So as we as we have this conversation, we're having it 24 hours after the anniversary of Brexit, uh, or the, which is us leaving the EU, which was three years ago. I, I'm denied about whether I should talk about this because it's a very, it's so boring now. But it was really interesting to me to watch the celebrations um, of this anniversary with, with people from the government, particularly Rishi Sunak, going yeah it's really great isn't it brexit isn't it brilliant aren't we having a great time you ever been to like a party where the dj's going aren't we having a great time and everyone is just like why am i here this is just the worst night of my no one's dancing but you can see when i'm having a great time literally like butter is two pound fifty we're having a terrible time brexit has been from start to finish a complete disaster and it's a three-year anniversary of us leaving but there was also another two and a half years before that of negotiations and it felt like what what was achieved like I I was I once flirted with a gay guy in the office for like two and a half years and that was less of a waste of time you know than that entire negotiation period where it feels like the emotional cost and the um the schism in Mm. culture and society that everything has like, we do have to talk about it. It's been three years. We do have to bring it up because kind of like lockdown, there has been a um, a hangover from it. It's still affecting the conversations that we have, the budgets, what we're able to do. So the idea that we could celebrate this as some kind of, what's the net positive? Like, I would love someone to tell me what the net positive is from from Brexit. I have one positive. About a little while ago, I, I tweeted... Um, and I said, can someone tell me something positive that's happened because of Brexit? And someone piped up and said, well, now, because EU countries have to comply with our laws, they're not allowed to exploit chalet girls. <laughs> you know how, like, <laughs> you know what you do when you're, like, 18, 19, you go over to, like, a ski resort and you spend the winter there and you ski if all If you're day. called Annabelle yeah. and you went to an all-girls, <laughs> a private all-girls school, you would go over and... Yeah. yeah, and you make a minimal amount of money, but you get paid in basically a season-long ski pass, ski hire and the relevant insurances. So you basically ski 
all day you get a little bit of pocket money and you have to cook for families and you get like one or two days off a week and I was just like oh well that was work you know that was worth it like nothing is working nothing works in this country but like you said Annabelle can get paid a living wage on her fucking gap year in the mountains and like the whole point of being a chalet girl is that you just have that hedonistic kind of season snowboarding and and whatever so there hasn't really been a benefit and I really hate the, the the cognitive dissonance that the government is practicing and and it's not working on us but that's why we're all striking like it's not working they're looking out the window and going isn't the weather great and it's pissing it down with rain <laughs> yes yeah and yeah. it's so annoying <laughs> my shoes my shoes are full of water yeah i really feel like and i remember getting into again speaking about tweets that get you in trouble i remember just post brexit there was this big sort of drive and again what annoys me is it feels like it's a tory I feel like there's somewhere there's some kind of Tory bot farm that churns out these tweets. So they were like kind of like buy British. So people were going, but you can't buy British for everything. And I was like, that's kind of ironic, isn't it? That the only thing we're mass producing at the moment is government incompetence. (laughs) So it's like a little joke, like, and people went mad going, you hate British business. And I was like, of course I don't hate British business, but I can see this for what this is. It's an attempt to spin Brexit and then now we're in a situation where we can't you know get goods from from the eu stuff that you would normally buy online that you're going oh that's 90 pounds now to just get it through customs to get it through the door so i can't so i would love to buy british you know and i do buy british but not everything that you want is available people are going bananas are we going to start growing bananas why would you want to just buy british all the time from this little island with a tiny just look on the, the globe we're a tiny it's not even logistically possible to just buy it we're tiny i don't even know where to start i mean why should i just buy british and don't forget <laughs> yeah. like and you will be buying british from a british retailer or like it's, yes. it's just a really myopic way to see to see the world this idea of self-sufficiency why would you want to be self sufficient surely it's about and what if what if every country said right we're just going to buy from ourselves then who do you sell your stuff to you don't have any right to have or or desire an export market if you think that nobody should buy buying externally from britain well fine who's going to buy your shitty cheese then no french yes. wanna, the french <laughs> want to buy french they don't want your fucking stinking bottom from like whatever they call it they don't want it the dutch want their edam they don't want your they don't want your shitty little cheese strings you know, it's just a really weird way of seeing. If we're going to sell stuff abroad, we have to buy stuff. Uh, not, I'm, I'm coming across as proper um, RC, but uh, there's a. Radi- but that's kind of my point of like you can't. That doesn't mean intrinsically because you are you can see what someone's trying to do that you don't support British business. Yeah, and I do, and especially small businesses as well. There's loads of like jewelry companies and clothes shops and stuff that I that I buy from here. And actually the experience of going out to kind of shop. But if I'm ordering online, that's the one of the joys of being able to online shop is to be able to get something from anywhere in the world, <laughs> not even just the EU, you know? We as a country, we invent we didn't invent free trade, but we certainly pushed the world towards the idea of free trade. The idea of like selling literally I mean this is very basic, but selling stuff to people and buying stuff from them is the way to create global wealth and that's because we had a commonwealth basically um and it's just really odd that we've gone oh change our mind <laughs> like but we've got this system like we we made we made these countries become like 
you know, specialized producer stuff because we said we'd want to buy it from you. And I said, oh, we want to we make it ourselves. But why would we spend the last 100 years making this country just make cocoa or this country just sell coffee or this country just do X, Y, and Z? You know, we, we made the Argentinians become a beef producer. That's the only reason why Argentina is really big on beef production because we were like, we want you to grow our beef. And now we're like, nope, we're going to buy British. But, like, we've just made the whole economy... <laughs> Where are you going to get the spices? Where are you going to get the tea? We run on tea. We run on tea. Who's going to? Well, exactly. We're going to. What what will we drink? Fucking Robinsons. Hot hot Vimto. (laughs) Hot hot Vimto and cakes now at the Ritz instead of tea. Hot hot, hot Vimto and a a chunk of cheddar and that's all you're allowed. A cup of gravy. It's a real mythology (laughs) that a, a country can thrive like on its own. And it's a mythology that it would want to. Why? Well, like all right you can eat your beige food every day if you want but i i like to eat different stuff um so very a very odd thing i was listening to more or less on you know radio four's got that show more or less where it basically does the maths and stuff yeah and this morning it was saying that there's uh, yesterday they used to stay put out this data like there's never been any more exports and imports in and out of the eu from the uk than the last year that's actually not the case it's there's never been any more but in case of value because things cost so fucking much so our imports <laughs> and exports have gone up because everything's so expensive but by volume it's gone down by like 40 percent. like this is genuinely true you should please listen to the show if you, if you haven't listened to it but it basically is like oh, so that will volume, be the spin that's, that's the government the, spin. The spin by volume we're putting out less and we're buying less because we're getting less for our money but by cash in cash terms everything's great and i feel like this these mythologies that are circulating i'm just actually just really tired of the, i'm so close to just walking out with a brick and just throwing it through the nearest window because I just I don't know what else to do. I'm like this is really bad, guys, and it, and it's and we're all suffering from it. All of us. I'm a middle class person. I do very well, thank you very much. But I'm like <laughs> I'm literally swapping things out in my supermarket. You know, my kid, my kids are eating Tesco crinkle cut chips and not McCain. You know, which is obviously yeah. no hard. It's not traumatic for them. But I'm just trying to demonstrate that we're all having to cut back in a weird way. Everyone, I think, on almost every level of society, apart from super rich. Mm is now having to go and and sometimes people take the piss when they go oh oh is it affecting the middle classes and you go yeah but also the middle class is put into the economy and a part of the circular it's affecting poor people even more precisely you know it's a, it's a real indicator of the effect if it's struggling if we're struggling i'm sat in my house with a hat <laughs> <you know>? yeah <laughs> it's, it's exactly that it's exactly that I go oh we're we supposed to care and you go yeah because that's telling you that apart from the top percent Everyone is feeling the pinch. Everyone is feeling the strain from it. When we talk about all of this and the cost of living, I just feel like, again, the energy, energy bills comparatively to the rest of Europe. I don't even know if we were still part of the EU, whether that would affect our energy prices at the moment. That's a good question. I don't know. But I do know that if we didn't have so much energy dependency on Russia, which was a complete construct. We didn't need to be this dependent on Russia, but it was a quid pro quo thing. You, you know, you, we'll sell you all our property and you give us all your gas, fundamentally. That's it. And that's the crazy thing. Like, Russia invaded Ukraine and we have been told that we need to support that and I guess we do. But Russia's gone, well, you can't have our gas now. And that's what happens when when people go to bed with, with oligarchs and, and whatnot. And they, we, we always knew that Russia, Russia was going to... Ironically, they, got in, bed, they yeah. got in bed with an oligarch to, to keep warmer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's turned out the other way. It's a very high tog quilt, though. A high tog. Time for Historic Beef. This is where we unravel or unpack a feud, a long-standing rivalry, or even an argument between some figures from the past 
And this week I've chosen Maya Angelou versus unknown interviewer. (laughs) I'm going to say unknown interviewer. I found this beautiful piece of footage where Maya was describing an interview she once had. Basically, I think she was nominated for a Pulitzer and the journalist tried to do a bit of a gotcha on her by revealing that uh, Maya had done sex work. And what I think is fascinating and interesting about this is kind of taking the power away from someone when they try and shame you. So it was done with the intent of taking this woman who just, you know, been acknowledged for this big achievement and to kind of go, don't get too big for your boots, to just kind of like take that away. And and what I really love about it is that Maya obviously sort of says, well, there's more than one way to prostitute yourself, as I'm sure you're aware. <laughs> and it's done in a very sort of classy way. Um, and uh, and woe betide anyone who'd want to take Maya Angelou on in that way, because I think she always has such heartfelt and yet classy responses <laughs> to people who try and bring her down. So that's what I wanted to bring to the historic beef for today. Yeah, I mean, like that's just the backhanded compliment, isn't it? Yes. Also, Maya Angelou is a is a, a survivor. Okay, she's a survivor of 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 sexual abuse. You know, so she has like her story isn't like oh I was born then I was a prostitute and then then whatever like it's she has a really complex history and yeah i mean that's a backhanded compliment meant to undermine her and her achievements and what and what she became you know and the trauma that she came through why would you try it do you know what i mean like yeah. don't try it with my don't try it with her do you know what i mean that was a that was a very a very poor 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 that was very poor judgment absolutely i think the one thing about her is is that she's gonna make you feel i think the fear of having someone like Maya Angelou not like you <laughs> is so like Can you imagine oh my gosh oh yeah like how you would you'd never get over that like if she sort of went ah oh, well I'm not angry I'm just disappointed which is what it feels like I mean I've seen her do various interviews with people I remember seeing one of her and Dave Chappelle and Chappelle was kind of so like nervous about going in with his opinion on something and was like, I feel embarrassed to say this to you. And she was like, it's okay. You know, you're my child, you're my brother, you're my son. And you can just sort of see him. There's something about her that's so graceful that I would love to, you know, I just think as human beings, if you're able to hold that space of... Also, she talked a lot about forgiveness, didn't she? Mm. And in her books, she's, in spite of what she went through, she wanted to forgive anyone who had wronged her. And uh, I'm not that... um I'm not that good a person. <laughs> well, be forgetful like me. I don't forgive people. I just, I just forget. I'm really bad. It's a terrible thing. Um, but, um, but I think the other, the, I think people really respect Maya Angelou. Not only because she's wise, but she's really humble. So she, she talks very openly about mistakes that she's made and things that she regrets. And, um, and that's, and when, when, when you read that from her, and she does lots of interviews, and it's in her writing too. When you understand that she's able to admit her mistakes, but then like grow as a person that's quite that's like very affecting because we we don't like to do that generally so somebody who is 20 times the person that i am is able to wake up and say i was wrong at that point or i didn't made a mistake and it's like when when last did we the way we double down doubling down (laughs) is a big doubling down is is the is the new pandemic you know doubling down is just it's just shocking the way people will say here a very valid argument or counterpoint to their view and they'll just find they'll either change the subject or, or whatever and it, it's quite a thing and she comes from a different generation I guess and 
yeah, I don't know who that interviewer was that thought that they could shave. And when you're being awarded or when you're nominated for Pulitzer, you know, the disrespect, that's not like some shitty little, that's not Richard and Judy book club. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not some little nonsense thing. That's a worldwide, when you, if you've written something and you are nominated for that or you win it, that means your book is going down in history. Your book is going to be handed down for the generations and probably lost in Croydon somewhere. <laughs> you know, like that's a book that is just, that circulates through people's consciousness. It's historic. It's your legacy. Yeah, and she was a great, she was a great one for being able to, I think it's Gather Together in My Name where she talks about all of that. And then she's sort of coerced into it the first time round from a man that she's with because he gets into money trouble. So it's actually really nuanced and layered how she, how she moved into into doing that. And so I think to try and kind of gotcha someone by just dropping it in an interview. And I guess I guess the intended effect is to make someone feel feel shame and and fear. Oh, it is shame. It's basically saying you are now in a position that is intellectually stronger than me and I don't feel comfortable with that because you're a black woman and you have this history that isn't like the quote-unquote proper history that you're supposed to have that's supposed to get you access to this space so I'm going to say this to right the world as so it can be as it is through my eyes does that make sense and yeah in those moments those people need to be swatted like flies they need to be swatted <laughs> bang right and she did that and that's good because it's unprogressive and also ungracious and fucking boring do you know what I mean like it's so boring should everyone who has a Pulitzer have been brought up in a three bedroom same detached house with a, with a picket fence or no like actually I don't want to hear those stories anyway I like yeah you're not she wouldn't it the irony of the, I think of people who have traumatic lives is that would they create the art they created if they hadn't been through what they've been through so I wouldn't wish her history on anyone but would she be the writer she was if she hadn't gone through what she did and we don't know the answer to that but you have to respect people's past you know and that was very disrespectful of her journey yeah it's a, a deep a deep insecurity mm. but I would, I would like to pick up on the thing that you said about doubling down I think that it's progressive to be able to go oh no actually I got that wrong yeah I was wrong about that and even sometimes people or thinkers or people in the discourse or commentators who I don't even particularly like or agree with will sometimes say I got it wrong and then I was like oh there's a level of respect I don't know if I'd say that now or I disagree with that do you think that there is that we're now in a society where it feels like the wrong thing to do to actually say I got it wrong or I'm going to climb down do you feel like the stakes are higher why is that why have her generation were people more like kind of understanding of being able to say I got it wrong or I I misjudged that or what why do you think that is I think it's indicative of the power of the personal brand I don't think people are interested in not being cancelled I think what they're interested in is putting their flag on a particular hill and then saying, come to my hill. And it becomes a performance to grow their followers. And I think that then trickles down into the behavior of just people in general, AKA their, their followers. I don't, if people were scared of being canceled, they would process information and think and learn. So what they're afraid of, of is then losing their followers. I think, I, I, I honestly, I think it's as cynical as that. I think that it's a, it's a question of people taking a position and saying this is my brand now this is the brand that you'll see next to my avatar and this is what my social media feed looks like and it will maintain this tone and these opinions and, and these politics until I die because it, this is how I accumulate followers and people f- feel validated through followers now and not, and not through intellectual enrichment and I think that's the real issue that we have at the moment I, I wish people were scared of getting cancelled because then, then they would fucking think like Piers Morgan for example Piers Morgan shouldn't 
on a rational level, an educated man who was a journalist by trade shouldn't be tweeting, oh, those five black officers killed a black man, so it's not about racism. Like, are you dumb? Like, the institutional racism is literally two terms that we have used to describe racism ever since 1994 and, and the report, the Stephen Lawrence report, okay? Like, we, how many times you have to say it's institutional? Once you put on the uniform, once you work for the organisation, you practice its policies and its morality, right? We are all understanding of this. He should not be tweeting that. Like somebody of, with his brain power and his qualification. So why is he saying it? Because he believes it? Or because, or because he knows it'll attract the most attention. And that's precisely. the damning thing about precisely. social media is yes. that it's very hard to capture anything with a nuanced debate, especially on something like Twitter. Or you could just say something outrageous. It feels like, yes, that, that would be... I'll come out and say something that's so obnoxious and so horrific because it plays to my base and it gets me the followers and it gets me attention. I've talked about this on here multiple times, but the death of nuance really is a thing. Yeah. And a sad thing for, like you say, for intellectual enrichment and progression and progressiveness. It's frustrating. And there's people in my life, Sir Down, who will have a thought like that um, and just DM me and be like, I feel like I'm really confused. And they will, and, it, and, I, and say, can you explain this to me? Because they know... You know, I guess I'm a student of racism, sadly. I read a lot on this stuff and I literally am a student. I studied it, you know? So it's like, do that, Piers. Call your black friend. Oh, he probably doesn't have any, you know? But like, just text your black friend and be like, yo, this is really messing me up. Can you explain this to me? Because I promise you, like, that's cool to me because it means when you speak in it publicly, you're coming from a more informed place. Um, and that doesn't mean to say you should ask your friends to do your labour for you, but you should have people in your life that you should be able to have these conversations with and if they're real friends they will have them with you but that yeah that would be a great example of why things are the way they are it's it's all about brand now sadly i think thank you for coming on and sharing your unpopular opinions and your gripes and your beefs. I hope you feel a bit lighter. I do. Having yeah, I do. <laughs> like, we can't fix all the world's problems, but maybe we can feel better after getting it all out. Do you have anything to plug, Athena? Tell us what you've got coming up and where we can find you. I've got a podcast. It's called Why Does My Child Hate Me? It's not just for parents and carers, though. It's for everyone. Um, uh, because I... If you care about that kind of stuff, but it's, it's just about just about how wild humans are. We're so wild, like we're wild at two and three, and we're wild for all our, our whole lives, and we need to acknowledge this. Um, so it's really about that. Um, and what else am I doing? Uh, the best thing to do is just find me on my socials. Um, I never know what I'm doing. I just wake up in the morning with my diary, sadly. Um, I think, oh shit! I should be in Bristol today. So if you want live dates, head to Twitter, Instagram, and my website. But yeah, that's what's your website? Just it's just my name, athenacavenu.co.uk. But yeah, my socials are the best place to come say hi to me. I think with your shitty opinions, I can trash. She <laughs> <laughs> so can set fire to them. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, Athena. I'm on tour from may but actually there's one in march at belfast at the imagine festival which is a festival of ideas and politics so if you're interested come see me at that otherwise i'll be all over the uk from may you can get all of the dates on my twitter and instagram thanks again for joining us athena thanks for listening to catharsis you can listen to other programs from the bugle including the bugle catharsis tiny revolutions top stories and the gargle wherever you find your podcasts. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.